deals with matters of the heart, okay? Things that we can give our heart to and things that that can expose our hearts as well. Amen. Praise the Lord. <coughs> Hallelujah. Okay, verse 1 uh, through 3 deals with sitting down and eating with those in authority. Uh, verse 1 says, When thou sittest to eat with a ruler, consider diligently what is before thee. Put a knife to thy throat, if thou be a man given to appetite. Be not desirous of his dainties, for they are deceitful meat. Amen. And so the word desirous is connected to the heart. Let's pray. Father, we come before you right now. We ask your blessing to be upon the reading of your holy word. We give you all praise and glory and honor in advance, Lord, for what you're going to do in and through us tonight. In Jesus' name, we give you our heart, Lord, all the way totally tonight. Be honored and glorified. Amen. You may be seated in the name of the Lord. Okay, first few verses deal with uh, sitting down with those in authority, a ruler in this case. First of all, it says that when you do that, consider diligently what is before you. That means to consider your appetite. Amen. Don't be given to too much appetite. If you've got somebody that's of authority or whatever, and they say they take you out to lunch, and you're sitting there and, and you're going to eat, right? Well, be careful. Don't order too much. <laughs> Amen. Praise the Lord. Because the, the authority is watching you, you know, and if you're disordered and everything, and that tells a lot about you. Sometimes a, uh, a ruler or those in authority, verse 3, be not desirous of dainties, for they are deceitful meat. Sometimes those in authority are going to invite you out to eat, but they have hidden motives behind it. Amen. It's not just because they want to take you out to eat, they're going to be watching you. All right? Now, how many of y'all ever heard of a man by the name of Henry Ford? Y'all ever heard of him? Have y'all ever heard of Ford vehicles before? Everybody's heard of Ford vehicles, right? Well, Henry Ford used to take people out, it is said, to eat. And if he was considering uh, them for management position, he'd take them out to eat and he'd watch them. He would see if they salted their food before tasting it. Okay, or season their food before they tasted it, right? So they don't even taste it. They just sit down, they just start salting it and putting seasoning on it. They haven't tasted the food yet. And Henry Ford would not promote that person into management if they did not taste their food first before they seasoned it. You know why? Because that told him that they would make quick decisions without getting all the facts if they promoted, if he promoted them to management. So be careful when you go and you sit down and eat with somebody, your boss or whatever. Hallelujah. Be careful. They might be checking you out to see if you're worthy of some kind of management position. The way a person eats tells you a lot about them. Amen. Praise the Lord. <clears throat> so be careful with your appetite. Be careful when you sit down because there might be some hidden motive behind the reason for you being invited to that meal. All right. Amen. Verse 4 says this, Labor not to be rich, cease from thine own wisdom. You with me here? Wilt thou set thine eyes upon that which is not? For riches certainly make themselves wings. They fly away as an eagle toward the heavens. So that's another reason why you want to be careful when you sit down with bosses. 
because you might be tempted like Judas Iscariot to betray the Lord. So we need to be careful because when money's involved, sometimes that brings temptation, right? So those verses sort of connected. They're connected to the heart. Go to Matthew 13, please. Concerning riches, why does he say don't, don't uh, set your eyes upon that which is not? For riches make themselves wings, they fly away. Why is he saying that? Well, you can be so motivated by wealth and riches in this world that it can affect your relationship with God. Matthew 13. Let's look at this verse. Verse 22 of the Gospel of Matthew, the 13th chapter. He also that receives seed among the thorns is he that heareth the word and the care of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and he becomes unfruitful. So when you study the different kinds of soils that Jesus is talking about that the Word of God can be sowed into, I'm not going to go into all the verses here, but you have a hard-hearted person, you have a shallow-hearted person. Verse 22 is a half-hearted person. Their heart's given to the riches of this world. Okay, It's called the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches. It's going to choke the Word, and you'll become fruitful. So that's a half-hearted person, right? Verse 23 says, But he that receiveth seed into the good ground is he that heareth the word and understandeth it, which also beareth fruit and bringeth forth some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. So this is a wholehearted person. They hear the word of God, they're wholehearted, they're not hard-hearted, shallow-hearted, half-hearted. They're wholehearted for God. And as a result of that, they produce fruit in their life. So going back to Proverbs chapter 23. Verse 5, Wilt thou set thine eyes upon that which is not? For riches certainly make themselves wings. They fly away as an eagle toward the heaven. Right? Amen. Praise the Lord. Verse 6, Eat thou not the bread of him that hath an evil eye, neither desire thou his dainty meats. This talks about sitting down with a person that you know doesn't have your well-being in mind. And you know that. You sit down and you eat with them. You've got to be careful with that, about that. Because, again, they may have some kind of motive, you know, working there. But ultimately, they don't have your good in mind. So, according to the Word of God, we should seek the bread of God. Amen. Verse 7. For as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. Eat and drink, saith he to thee. But his what? His heart is not with thee. See, he's not your friend. He wants to make out like he's your friend because he's having a meal with you, but he's got an ulterior motive behind that. Now go to 1 Corinthians 5, please. And in the New Testament, meals that you sit down and eat together are not just about food, they're about fellowship. And so Proverbs is talking about that, that this man that sits down is eating you, he's just eating with you. He's not really in fellowship with you at all, this person. He's got an evil intention towards you. Um, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9. I wrote to you in an epistle not to company with fornicators, yet not altogether with the fornicators of this world or with the covetous or extortioners or with idolaters, for then must you needs go out of the world, right? But now I have written unto you not to keep company if any man that is called a brother be a fornicator or covetous 
or an idolater or a railer or a drunkard or an extortioner with such a one not know not to eat. You see, so if you have an if you're wondering about sitting down with people in the world and having a meal with them, that's not what it's talking about. It's okay to sit down with somebody that's not a Christian and have a meal with them. Jesus did that, but he did that with redemption in mind. You with me here? Okay, so it's not wrong to do that. I used to wonder, and I have a, a guy I used to work with years ago. He wasn't a believer, and he didn't want to go out and eat, right? Well, I knew his lifestyle wasn't good, and it wasn't right. And so in my mind, I was wondering, well, should I go out and eat with this man? Because he's not a believer in his lifestyle. He's living with somebody he's not married. And uh, so should I do that? Well, the Bible is very clear. You'd have to go completely out of the world not to be involved with these people. Amen? Praise the Lord. But when it comes to a, somebody that claims to be a brother in the Lord, if they're a fornicator, covetous, idolatrous, railer, drunkard, or extortioner, it says we're such a one not to eat. Because it's not just about sitting down and having a meal. It's about when you do that, you're fellowshipping with that kind of a person. And they're claiming to be a Christian, but they have a different lifestyle that is not a Christian lifestyle. Amen. Praise the Lord. All right, you understand that? Verse 12, Paul says, For what have I to do to judge them also that are without? Do not ye judge them that are within, but them that are without God judgeth. Therefore put away from among yourselves that wicked person. So it has to do with fellowship. There are certain people that claim to be Christians, but their lifestyle is not what it's supposed to be according to the Word of God. And it gives specific things there. We are not to be in fellowship with those people. Okay? Amen? So going back to Proverbs chapter 23. Eat thou not the bread of him that hath an evil eye, neither desire that thou his dainty meats, for as he thinkest in his what? Heart, so is he. Eat and drink, saith he to thee, but his heart is not with thee. All right, you see that? Amen. Verse 8. So we're dealing with things of the heart. The, mor the morsel which thou hast eaten shalt thou vomit up and lose thy sweet words. So if you're sitting there and you're just pouring out compliments and saying all kinds of good things to this person, this person doesn't care anything about you. They have hidden motives, whatever. And you're just spitting all these compliments out. It says ultimately you're just going to vomit them out. It's a waste of time. Okay? Verse 9. Speak not in the ears of a fool... For he will despise the wisdom of thy words. Go to Matthew 7, please. Speaking to a fool, somebody who refuses to obey God, they refuse to obey God. They will not listen to you. They will not listen to the word of God. And so a lot of times, brothers and sisters, we speak to some people as like talking to the wall. It's a waste of time. Amen. A fool that won't listen to God, listen to the Word of God, you're wasting your time. I've had my experiences with people like that. It doesn't matter how you come across, brother. You can be as sweet and kind and loving as you can possibly be. You can put them in a position where they're the ones that are making all of the confessions. You're not accusing them of anything, but you're telling them the right way to go, and they won't listen. It's like talking to a wall. So look at Matthew 7 and verse 6. Now pray to God you don't come across too many people like that. 
but 7 and 6 says this, Give not that which is holy unto the dogs, neither cast your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet and turn again and rend you. Amen. So we can cast our pearls before swine. They're not going to listen. Why? You, th you take something valuable. You throw it in a pig pen. If it's a diamond, what's a pig going to do? It's going to trample the diamond into the mud, right? You can throw something valuable in a pig pen, but the hog doesn't value it. So when you take the precious word of God, the precious pearls of the word of God, and you share it with some people, basically you're casting your pearls before swine. It's a waste of time. Why? Because that person doesn't put a value on the things of God. Amen. Their heart is a long ways away from God. They don't want God in their heart, right? Okay. So that's verse 9, verse 10. <clears throat> Remove not the old landmark and enter not into the fields of the fatherless. We've already covered this about the ancient landmarks last Wednesday, and God thoroughly covered that, so I'm not going to go back into that. Verse 11. For their Redeemer is mighty, he shall plead their cause with thee. Verse 12, again the heart. Apply thine heart unto instruction and thine ears to the words of knowledge. Amen? Well, you say apply your heart, your mind, your will, your emotions, not just your mind, okay? <clears throat> God doesn't want just your mind hearing and, and accumulating facts. He wants your heart too. Now, the devil is after your mind, but God is after your heart. God doesn't want just your mind when you walk around with facts about the Word of God or facts about God. He wants your heart. He wants you to love Him with your mind, your will, and your emotions. So we have to apply our hearts unto instruction and our ears to the words of knowledge. Verse 13. Withhold not correction from the child, for if thou beatest him with the rod, he shall not die. Thou shalt beat him with the rod, and shalt deliver his soul from hell. Amen. So now we have direction concerning children. You have to guide their heart. Their heart's not going to be toward the right thing. Their heart's going to be toward the wrong thing. So you've got to guide that heart. Amen? And the way that you guide that heart to God, toward God is through discipline, right? Okay, so look at it again, please. Verse 13, withhold not correction from the child. Hallelujah. Make sure your kids, please, are paying attention. When I'm preaching the Word of God, I appreciate that. Withhold not correction from the child, for if thou beatest him with the rod, he shall not die. How many of y'all believe that this is the divine, divinely inspired Word of God? So this is not your pastor saying it, although I'm saying it. This is the divinely inspired word of God. And God says that we're to use the rod. Amen? Use the rod of correction to the seat of education. For if thou beatest him with the rod, he what? He shall not die. Now they're going to tell you they are, but they won't. Verse 14, thou shalt beat him with the rod and shalt deliver his soul from what? Hell. Now, brothers and sisters, there's some liberal pastors and theologians that say hell isn't real. But the Word of God is inerrant. It's without error. Hell is a real place. And if you're going to give your child a fighting chance, so to speak, from going there, 
then you're going to have to guard, guide their heart with some discipline, with some correction, with the rod. That's what God said. And it's divine, this is the divinely inspired word of God. So you can listen to men or you can listen to God. How many of you want your children to go to heaven? Then you've got to apply the rod of correction to the seat of education to guide their hearts in the right direction. Right? If you do not do that, if you don't uh, use the rod to correct them to guide them in the right direction, they won't submit to your authority. They won't submit to a pastor. Amen? They won't submit to a pastor. They won't submit to God. Okay? Do you understand the word of the Lord? Okay. So it's important that we correct our children so that we guide their hearts to God. Verse 15. My son, if thine what? Heart be wise. My heart shall rejoice even mine. Rejoice is the heart of God when we do what's right. The Father. Verse 16. Yea, my reign shall rejoice when thy lips speak right things. Let not thine heart envy sinners, but be thou in the fear of the Lord all the day long. Again, concerning the heart. Let not your heart envy sinners. We shouldn't do that. We shouldn't be jealous about what the sinner has. Want what the sinner has. That can become a snare to us. Right? Amen. Be thou in the fear of the Lord all the day long. Because if we don't, we'll become like them. Verse 18, For surely there is an end, and thing expectation shall not be cut off. And thine expectation shall not be cut off. How many know God is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him? Amen. Hebrews eleven six verse 19. Hear thou my son and be wise. And what? Guide thine heart in the way. How? By God's word and by God's spirit. Verse 20. Be not among wine-bibbers, among riotous eaters of flesh. So we can give our hearts to alcoholism. And give our hearts to gluttony. Gluttony and and alcoholism can go together. Okay, These are sins in the Word of God. Sometimes we talk about alcohol being a sin, but gluttony is a sin as well in the Word of God. Those two go together. Uh, so it's important we don't give our heart to alcoholism or to gluttony. Praise the Lord. For the drunkard and the glutton shall come to what? Poverty. And drowsiness shall clothe a man with rags. So let's go down here and let's look at some things about alcoholism. Okay, verse 29. Deals with somebody who gives their heart to alcoholism. Okay? Now, I don't know how many of you have been delivered from this kind of lifestyle. But if you have had this in your background, you can relate to what is being said here. Okay. Who hath woe? Who hath sorrow? Who hath contentions? Who hath babbling? Who hath wounds without cause? Who hath redness of eyes? They that tarry long at the wine, they that go to seek mixed wine. You see, there's an allurement to that stuff. There's a temptation that comes with drinking, okay? 
All right, so the allurement there, the heart given to that. Verse 31, Look not thou upon the wine when it is red, when it giveth its color in the cup. Okay, when it moveth itself aright, that means when it's fermented. It's not talking about grape juice. It's talking about fermented wine. Okay, so don't even look at it. Uh, don't be tempted. Don't allow your heart to be given to it. At the last it biteth like a serpent and stingeth like an adder. Thine eyes shall behold strange women, and thy heart, say thy heart, shall utter perverse things. See, drinking and partying, wild parties and drinking, immorality go with that. It's part of that kind of lifestyle. So you get caught up in that kind of lifestyle of the wild parties. In connection to that, you have the strange woman of the harlot, which we'll talk about in just a minute. Uh, but verse 33, again, thine eyes shall behold strange women, and thine heart shall utter perverse things. All right, so you get involved in immoral acts when you drink alcohol, okay? Verse 34, yea, yea, thou shalt be as he that lieth down in the midst of the sea, or as he that lieth upon the top of the mass. That means you'll lose control. You'll just be everywhere, okay? If you've ever drinking alcohol at that level you know what that's like you just lose all control verse 35 they have stricken me shalt thou say and I was not sick they have beaten me and I felt it not so then at this point you say well I don't know what happened to me you know I've been stricken I've been beaten you know and this so this person has a victim mentality the victim mentality so I don't know what happened to me you know, somebody did this to me well they brought it on themselves because of their condition so he goes on, he says, when shall I awake? I will seek it yet again. So it's an addictive thing. So all of these things that he's talking about in relationship to alcoholism is allurement, the fermentation of it, the immoral acts that are connected to it. It affects your speech. You'll utter perverse things. You with me here? You lose control, verse 34. You'll become a victim in your own mind and you'll become addicted to that. So that is not the kind of thing that you want to give your heart to according to the word of the Lord. Now going over to the harlot, she was referred to there in the verses. Verse 27 says, For a whore is a deep ditch. A deep ditch is something very dangerous. You want to stay away from that. She's a deep ditch and a strange woman is a narrow pit. She also lieth in wait as for a prey and increaseth the transgressors among men. So she's dangerous and she is a pursuer of men. So the Bible is very clear. Do not give our heart to that kind of situation, that kind of person, or that kind of lifestyle. All right? Amen. Now, let's go back up. In verse 22. Hearken unto thy father that begat thee, and despise not thy mother when she is old. Amen. Amen. Obey him. Verse 23. Buy the truth and sell it not. Also wisdom, instruction, and understanding. Now this tells us right here that if you want to seek knowledge and truth, it comes at a price. It's, it's not automatic. Okay, There's no shortcut to truth. You have to just spend some time and some effort and in some cases money to know, know the truth. Verse 24, The father of the righteous shall greatly rejoice, 
And he that begetteth a wise child shall have joy of him. Amen. So, 25. Thy father and thy mother shall be glad, and she that bear thee shall rejoice. So if you'll live right, you'll cause your parents to rejoice. In some cases, very rarely, do you see the opposite, but that's a possibility that somebody would not rejoice when they see their children living for the Lord. But most of the time they will, okay? Verse 26, this is the most important one, I think, out of everything that we've looked at, is the Father, and in this case it's God, and He's crying out. He's asking for your hearts tonight. There's so many things that we can give our heart to. We've looked at these various things in this chapter. But God is asking you tonight to give you, give Him your hearts. And I want you to think about that. When God comes to you and He says, Give me your heart. My son, give me your heart. You think about that. In order for God to say, Give me your heart, that lets me know that what I'm a part of in Christianity is the most intimate thing that you could possibly be a part of. Christianity is an intimate thing. Amen? It's not a religion. It's an intimate relationship with God. And as I said, it's not just about accumulating facts in the mind about God. It's about giving your heart to the Lord and loving the Lord with all of your heart, your mind, your soul, your will, and your emotions. And so intimacy, relationship with God, is what Christianity is all about. It's the most intimate thing you can be a part of. Amen. Praise the Lord. So when you think about this, look at what God did for you. When he asked you, verse 26, My son, give me thine heart, and let thine eyes observe my ways. What did he do for you? Why would you want to give him your heart instead of giving your heart to these other things, these other types of lifestyles? Well, first of all, he died for you. He died for you. He rose again the third day for you. He ascended up for you. He sits upon the right hand of God for you. He gave you His Spirit. He gave you the Holy Ghost. And where do we say He lives? He lives in my heart. It's the most intimate thing there is on the planet. For God to say to give you His heart, He's the one that gave you everything. I will say it again. He died for you. He rose for you. He ascended. Amen. He poured out the Holy Ghost for you. He put His Spirit inside of your heart, inside of my heart. He lives on the inside of us in a very intimate relationship. And yet, it is this intimate, personal God that comes to you tonight and says, Give me your heart. <coughs> Give me your heart. This awesome, intimate God. What a strange request. Is it not a strange request that He would come and He would ask you for something? Give me, said the Lord. Give me what? What do you say? Give what? Give me your heart. 
The one, see, we're normally the ones who say to God, give me. But now, strange request. Instead of us saying, God, give me something. God, the creator, I want you to think about that. The creator of the heavens and the earth is asking for you to give him something. Most of the time, don't we, aren't we the ones that are saying, God, will you give me this or give me that? So it's a strange request to have the Creator, the one who made everything, come to you and say, give me your heart. The prayer answer becomes the petitioner. How many of y'all pray to this God? Right? So you bring your petition. You ask Him for things, correct? But now the prayer answer becomes the petitioner. What a strange request, is it not, for God to do that? The great giver becomes the receiver. The sought one becomes the seeker. The door seeks entrance. Water is thirsty. Bread is hungry. The way is searching for our hearts. God wants your heart. Why? Because He loves you. He didn't come to you tonight and ask you to make Him richer. He didn't say in his petition, Brother Timothy, I want you to make me richer. He's so rich, you can't make him richer. He didn't come to you tonight and say, make me wiser. You can't make him smarter. You with me here today? If you are, say praise the Lord. He's too great for you to make him greater. He's too good for you to make him better. He's too strong for you to make him stronger. Too wise to make him wiser. Too knowledgeable to make him smarter. Amen? So when he comes to you, he doesn't ask you for those things. He asks you simply for one thing. And that is that you would give him your heart. Amen? He, he loves you. And he loves me. And he wants a relationship with us. Not just a mind thing. But he wants us wholehearted as the Bible talked about the different soils. Amen. I want to be a wholehearted person. I don't want to be hard-hearted, shallow-hearted, or half-hearted. I want to be wholehearted for God. Not just in my mind. As I said, the devil goes after your mind. But God goes after your heart. He wants an intimate relationship. He wants you to love Him tonight. Amen. He doesn't want you to be religious. He wants you to love Him. And you see in the Word of God, a man by the name of Abraham, God came to him and tested him in the area of his love. He told Abraham, He said, Abraham, I want you to leave or the Chaldees. I want you to leave and separate yourself from your family. What God was actually doing was, Lord, was saying to Abraham, I want to see how much you love me. Do you love me enough to separate from your home and leave your family behind? Well, we know Abraham took uh, his father with him. That didn't work out too good. But God was testing Abraham to see how much he loved him. Then there came a time God promised Abraham a son. And God gave Abraham, God gave Abraham supernaturally a son. His name was Isaac, laughter. And then there came a day 
when God tested Abraham and he said to Abraham, he said, I want you to give me your son, your only son, the son of promise. And what did Abraham do? The Bible said he got up early in the morning. God told him in the night, he got up early. The Bible doesn't tell us that he debated God. It doesn't tell us that he wrestled with God over this. The Bible said he got up early in the morning and he went to a mountain that was appointed by God. And when he got there, he knew exactly what he had to do. The Bible says Isaac put the wood on his back and Abraham and Isaac, the father and the son, went up that mountain and Isaac was going to be put to death there in that mountain, the mountain of God. They put all the wood in place. And Isaac was not a little boy. Isaac was probably a full-grown man at that time. And because his father, because, listen to me, because Abraham, his daddy, requested of him to lay down his life, even though he was an adult at that time. Because his daddy asked him to do it. The son said, I'll lay down my life. And they positioned the wood, put the wood in the place, and Isaac laid down on the wood, just like Jesus Christ would do in the future, willing to die, because that was the will of the Father. And Abraham, the Bible said, he lifted up his knife and he's about to come down. He was about to kill Isaac and God stopped him right as he was about to come down and kill him. And he said, Abraham, Abraham, the double annunciation of deity. Abraham, Abraham, do the child no harm. What God was really doing when he asked Abraham to give him Isaac was, Abraham, do you really love me with all of your heart? Do you love me to the point that you'd be willing to sacrifice your own son? And Abraham passed that test in the area of love. Not, not just mind, but in the heart. Heart love for God. And Abraham knew because of the promise of God that if I kill my son, God has already promised me this son. And I believe that God will raise him from the dead. He had that kind of heart relationship with God. God wants you to love him. My son, give me your heart, says the Father. Amen. He want, How much do you love God tonight? So we talk about how much we love God. Do we love God more than family? Do we love God more than anything? If God were to come to you today and say, I want this, would you say, yes, Lord? What if you loved it more than anything in the world? But God said, I want it. God will test your love. God will test you to see if you really, really do love Him or not. He's tested me, and I'm sure He's tested you at times in your life to just see how much you really did love Him, how much you were willing to give for Him. And oftentimes when you do that, when you're put into that situation, that kind of test, God will turn around and either give it back to you or give you something better in His place. But he will test you to see if you love him more than anything. Hallelujah. God, God made you and he made me to love him more than anything. You ask, well, why am I on this planet? Why are you here, brothers and sisters? Why did God put you here? Did he put you here so you get a good job and make a lot of money? Did he put you here just so you could have a family and some kids running around? 
Why did He put you on this planet? Why are you here? What's the highest purpose of living? Why are you here? Why, why do you do what you do? Why are you here? What's the highest purpose of living? The highest purpose of living and the reason why you're here is that you might love God and have a relationship with God and live for the Lord. That's the highest purpose of why you're here is to love God, to live for the Lord, and to be like Him in my life. That's the, that's the reason why ultimately you and I are here. God puts you here. Amen? So that He could have someone to love and so that He would have somebody that would love Him back with their own heart. That means by choice. Not being made to, but by choice. You have a choice. And so, strange request comes from the Father. My son, give me your heart. Because he can't come and just take it. He can't come and make you love him. He won't do it. You have to make your, your decision tonight and your choice tonight to do that. To give him your heart. And as we've seen in this chapter 23, there are so many things that come that try to take your heart, that wants your heart. Life wants your heart. Matters of the heart. But God says, Son, give me your heart. You might not be the best singer in the world. You might not be the best speaker in the world. But there's one thing that you can do just like anybody else. And that is give Him your heart. Brothers and sisters, He gave you His heart. When He hung on that cross and He died on Calvary, the Bible says the blood and the water mingled. They pierced His side and outflowed blood and water. The only way that that could possibly take place is if the heart broke. The Son of God gave you literally His heart. And He's coming to you tonight as I close with one request. And that is, My Son, will you give me your heart? Will you give it to me totally, completely, all the way? No reservation. No holding back. Nothing in the place of a relationship with God. Tonight, you get to make that decision and that choice. The great God of the universe has come tonight to say this one word to you. My son, give me thine heart. Let thine eyes observe my ways. That's all he's seeking tonight. And if you'll give him your heart, he's got everything else. There's, you know, if, you, if you give him your heart, he's got your family. If you give him your heart, he's got you. You give him your heart, he'll take care of you. He wants you to love Him tonight. And today we have too many people that say they love the Lord with their mouths. But the Bible says their hearts are far from Him.
Something else in life has replaced him. Taken him off the throne of the heart. And if you're not careful, the longer that you live for him, pretty soon your heart can get cold. And the passion's not there and the love's not there anymore. But you can restore it. You can be restored. You can be renewed. But you've got to make that decision. Nobody can make it for you. You have to make that decision. Not long ago, I sat in my office. And Sister Christina was there. I sat in my office. And I looked at somebody across my desk and I said, I'm not here to make any decisions for you. I can't make any decisions for you. I said, I'm not even here to accuse you of anything. And I gave that person an opportunity to tell me what was going on in their life. And I said, I'm not going to tell you what to do, but you know what you need to do. I said, you need to walk in agreement with God and agreement with your church, agreement with the Word of God. Amen. You need to make the right decision. I'm not going to do it for you, but you're going to have to choose. Amen. And that's the way it is for all of us. Nobody can make you live for the Lord. Nobody can make you come to church. Nobody can make you live holy. Nobody can. You've got to make up your own mind with your own heart, brothers and sisters, if you're going to give the Lord your heart. Amen. And in the last days, the Bible talks about the heart growing cold. You've got to make up your mind that you love Jesus with all your heart. And if you do, you'll keep His commandments if you love Him. But I, as your pastor, brothers and sisters, all I can do is I can sit and I can talk to you in my office if something's not right. But I can't make you live this life. I can't do it. And I'm not going to try to do it. But we'll talk about it. But I want to tell you, this is the Word of God right here. And everybody in this church, you got to make up your own mind. Don't do it for me. Somebody said, well, I'm doing it. I'm doing it. You know, I did it for my kids. And I said, well, why? Why are you still here then? You know? So, well, I was coming for my kids. That's honorable. But you can't just come for your kids. you got to come for you. Because God is looking for your heart. Don't just come for your children. Come because you have it in your heart and you love God and you want to live for the Lord. Amen? Because there's a competition. The book of, in the Bible, the book of Revelation, the church of Ephesus, they lost their first love. That means the loyalty. Something replaced it. Amen. And the Lord came into that church. He walked the aisles of that church. And He simply said this, you need to change your heart. You need to change your thinking. He said, if you don't, He said, I'm going to remove your witness out of this city. Amen. So tonight as you stand, you get to make the decision. Of all decisions that you can make, and we make them all the time, don't we? Every day we're making decisions all the time. All day long. I'm making decisions all day long. 
the most important decision you'll ever make <coughs> is the decision am I going to give the Lord my heart? Amen. So tonight, I, you can. That's something that you can do. You've got to make up your mind. Okay. So I'm going to pray for you. Father God, we come before you right now. Lord Jesus, we thank you, Lord, tonight. We thank you for this opportunity to be in this house tonight, Lord God, to hear your word. Lord, we answer the petition, the request. That we would give you our hearts, Lord, tonight. We give you our hearts. Forgive us, Lord. We allow our hearts to get hard and bitter. Have mercy upon us, God, today. Lord Jesus, I love you by choice. I live for you because I love you. I obey you because I love you. You're a mighty king. And I glorify you and I honor you and I praise you in Jesus' name. Now tonight, you're, I'm preaching to born-again believers tonight, so I'm not saying accepting the Lord as your personal Savior is going to put you in heaven. You're born-again believers, but God is talking to all of us tonight to give Him our hearts. So we're going to pray one more time. And you do it for yourself. You answer that petition from the Lord tonight for yourself and talk to Him. Let Him hear from your own mouth. And if you're not willing to do that, then don't tell Him. Don't say, Lord, I give Him my heart. If you're not willing to do that, if you're not willing to love Him, not for a day or two, but for the rest of your life, for the rest of your life. Father God, today, all I can do, Lord, is love You back because You've already loved me. And I accept that love and I accept that mercy and I accept that grace. And I'm not doing it tonight because of anybody, because of a church denomination. I'm doing it because You made me to love You. You made me to love You. So Lord, tonight receive the praise the glory and the honor that is due your name. Receive the fellowship. Receive the love, God, tonight from your people. Lord, and we thank you at times that you test us in the area of our love. We willingly stand before you and we say that we love you. We praise you. We glorify you. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. You stand right there. You can feel the presence of God. You can, you can feel the love of God. Because <coughs> that's the kind of God He is. Hallelujah. I glorify you tonight. In Jesus' name. Every head bowed, every eye closed. When you give Him your heart, you're giving Him your life for the rest of your life.